Welcome to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Careview. Every week, a guest and I will be discussing an album that we both fucking love. We're going to find out how the record or band entered our lives. We're going to do some track-by-track observations and, of course, any other thoughts that come our way. Warning, these are conversations held by adults, and sometimes bad words will appear unedited. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. On the agenda for today is Super Judge, the second full-length album by Monster Magnet. It was produced by Monster Magnet mastermind Dave Weindorf and was released on AM Records on April 6, 1993. This was the first album to feature Ed Mundell on guitar and was their major label debut. On the other mic today is my old friend, fellow former record store clerk and current senior graphic designer, Tim Fernandez. Tell them a little bit more about you, Tim. Hi, everyone. Yeah, Derek and I go way back, uh, way, way back to high school. I won't tell you how long that is. Yeah, we, we, we both uh, did our time in record stores in the 90s, where we both, uh, I think, discovered this album amongst many others. We bonded over this one, so that's why we chose this for the first time out. We're going to talk about how this album entered my life. Now, this one actually entered because I was working in college radio when this one came out. So I didn't work in the record store till a little bit later. So I went to a, a very small university, and we had a very small radio station that actually didn't go over the radio waves, went over carrier current, which meant each building was wired to receive this radio station. Very few people listened to it, but I loved my time working there. So I walk into this small, ramshackle little station, and this album was on the music director's desk. And I picked it up to take a look at it because the album cover was cool, and they had a gloriously dumb name. (laughs) I brought it into the studio with me, and I just played it sight unseen. I just picked a track, and this wasn't unusual for me to do because, again, we didn't have to worry about FCC kind of stuff, and if there was excessive swearing on it, uh, as long as it wasn't during lunchtime or dinner time, that was generally okay. And I really, really wish I could remember which track I played first time. If I had to guess, it was either Evil or Twin Earth, because I would generally look at the track listing and whichever one wasn't too terribly long or and had an interesting title, I would probably go with that. In case it was terrible, you know, I didn't want to put on the six minute long terrible song, give me a three minute long terrible song. But anyway, I was immediately hooked. Uh, it hit all the sweet spots for me at that time. It was just off kilter heavy that wasn't exactly metal but it was more in and this is before i knew the phrase stoner rock which would become what they got labeled under a little bit later i think but at this point so this is you know it was would have been right about 93 when i heard it for the first time Uh, i think they had some stuff on mtv but i did not have a television at this point in in my college career because i couldn't afford it so this was just one that burrowed deep into my skull basically day one and i just fell in love with this record and fell in love with this band what about you tim how did this album enter your life i had been aware of them before because i had i had seen the uh video for medicine on headbangers ball and that was my prompt to run out and buy that album spine of god and that's when i fell in love with them and then by the time super judge was approaching uh i was working in a record store and uh was up on all the new releases and looking forward to to whatever was coming and i saw they ended up on the radar and i snagged it up the day it came out and uh probably went home and uh sequestered myself and (laughs) and digested the entire thing and uh it was amazing it's in hindsight it, it definitely kind of encapsulates everything that the band's about I think it's in a lot of ways, it's their peak. And I think somehow I probably knew that at the time, although I wasn't terribly conscious of it. Yeah, it just this album never gets old. 
that's why I fucking love this album. Yeah, it holds up. This is what I listen to all the time. I, I have this on vinyl, and this is one of the few albums I actually spent real money on. I remember buying this from <laughs> eBay years and years ago for like $40 or something, which is probably $30 more than I had spent on any record to that point. But I had it because it had the red vinyl and I had to get it. Nice. Were you still living in Florida at this point in 93? I was not. I was in back in New Jersey, for better or for worse, my homeland. And I was working in a record store in Union, New Jersey. For anybody out there who's unfortunate enough to know about Union, New Jersey, there's your frame of reference. I was fully entrenched in what would then, what would eventually become uh, called the stoner rock, as you referred to before. I was heavily into Caius and by this point, Monster Magnet and Fu Manchu. First album, I think, had come out by that point. So that's this definitely on the trajectory that I was on. Because I have this memory of you and I talking about this record. I think because like Headbangers Ball was on, and I want to say because there was a video for Twin Earth. Yes. It's amazing. And I have this memory of you and I talking about it, but I don't remember seeing you in New Jersey. So I don't know if maybe you were back in Florida for Christmas or that's why the timeline confuses me a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So it came out in 93. So I was probably back visiting in Florida during the summer and you were probably out of college at that point for the summer. That would be my guess. That makes sense then. I wanted to make sure I wasn't going insane. <laughs> right. So we're going to go ahead and get started here. And one of the things that I have been working on are the different types of album openers. We have the call to action, which is meant to announce the album's arrival, or like it was written to be played at the opening of a show. There's the teaser, which doesn't sound like the rest of the album. This one's usually short, and it does a little bit of a, hey, I'm over here, and then nope, the rest of the album's over there. There's the setup which doesn't sound radically different from the rest of the album. It's usually, let's say, down a notch, and it's all about setting up song two, which is hopefully going to just punch you right in the face. And then there's the blueprint, and this gives you an overview of what to expect from the album. So the themes, the sounds, sometimes a blueprint is just song one, but other times it's a bit of a pumped up version of what you're about to hear. I would say that Cyclops Revolution, track one, is a blueprint. For me, I believe Monster Magnet generally has a way of opening their albums so that you know exactly who you're listening to. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's really never any question about it. Within five seconds, you're like, oh yeah, this is a Monster Magnet record. This one opens up with kind of like the spacey guitar and vocals that are coming in from different sides. You know, this is like a great headphone uh, song. His vocals are it started over your left and then they're over on the right. In the meantime, there's just, just kind of weird guitars going on and then at about the one minute and 15 second mark just this fuzzy in your face guitar <laughs> that just busts the song wide open i mean this is just a great song a great way to start this is one of the when i first sat down to listen to this record and put the you know instead of just picking out one random song to play in the radio it was like oh yeah i'm i strapped myself in for this ride i was i was all about it i thought this was great not necessarily my favorite song on the record but a great way to start. I think it gives you just a little bit of a tease and then just, oh, here's what we do and here's what we do well. What about you, Tim? What do you think about this one? Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is most definitely the blueprint. It's kind of a summation of of the all the different tone changes that the album goes through. It starts off, like you said, with a nice slow psychedelic channel surfing uh, 
<laughs> wrong use of the word channel surfing slow and trippy and then it hits in at certain points of that kind of trademarked monster magnet acid freak out <laughs> that they do several times throughout the album um in in varying lengths and this song kind of gives you a little sampling of all the different speeds and tone changes that they do throughout would you agree oh yeah definitely i think that's one of the things that they do really well even though that's i think that they ended up compressing for each record they uh went away from more of the psychedelic thing they get back to it later in their career but i think they were like the this album and the next two or three was about punching up their sound uh for better or for worse i mean i'm not a huge fan of super long jams or even freakouts. now there's times when they do this really well so there's obviously an exception to everything i do like the next two albums mm-hmm. as well, even though they were a lot more punchy and a little poppy yeah definitely and it's always strikes me like just reading about this how i think people at the at a&m really expected this record to do well really <laughs> you think so yeah that was my understanding they didn't think this was going to be a world beater or anything but this was ended up being a bit of a disappointment because well this came out in 93 so basically yeah. a lot of things changed in 92 while monster magnet wasn't motley Crue or even metallica i think people were going away from stuff that sounded more traditionally heavy metal as opposed to what was mm, coming out of Northwest. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I got, and I didn't even think about it at the time, even though I was living it. It just hadn't even occurred to me, but it just hadn't occurred to me that they anybody thought this album was going to do well. They seemed like one of those, we love this band, we love what they do, let's give them a record deal and see what happens kind of thing as opposed to, yeah, I think this one's going to is going to move a million units. I thought that was just weird. So brings us on to track two, Twin Earth. What are your thoughts on this one, Tim? This this for me was the hook when, when I first discovered the album. I would find out many years later that it's actually a cover, <laughs> but but that didn't bother me then. It's just got a great guitar riff. Lots and lots of fuzz. <laughs> it's it's great it's driving pounding it it was probably most in line with what i was already listening to at the time and added a little something extra that's probably about as simply as i could put it that's i think one of the things that monster magnet was good at it was like that everything you like plus two <laughs> i love this song uh, i didn't really catch the video till too much i mean just the fact that they had videos was kind of weird for me at mm-hmm. this point. Uh, i just love the big guitars that just blast this one right off right from the beginning after cyclops revolution spaces you around before it gives it it's like and boom boom a left right combo to your face you can see why they released this one as a single mm-hmm. this is the really the catch it's, it's punchy and it just goes yeah even there, there's a moment when it looks like it's going to pull back you know sometimes songs will do that they'll get you to the the bridge and then they kind of pull it back a little bit and then go forward this one is just go go go, mm-hmm. go. that's all this one does and i can't remember who did this one originally uh captain beyond captain beyond that's right okay they were like a early mid-70s uh, uh prog rock band so so their version of it you know while the riff is the same it's it, obviously the speed and the octane is uh much lower than monster magnets version it's a lot more funky almost when i just surprised i've never really gone to check out oh i wonder how their version because a lot of times i will do that especially now that it's so easy it used to be hard sometimes to find the original i do love this one and i do see why this is a song they tried to sell the album with yeah so of course brings us to track three super judge and this one has a a slower start uh after especially after twin earth i don't know if you want to 
try to up that one mm. in tempo, really. But it's got a really cool groove to it. And that's one of the things that I like about Ed Mundell. And we mentioned this is his first record with the band. And I think, man, what a great guitar player that guy is. I'm not a big guitar hero guy. Mm. There's players that I like or whatever, but man, do I love Ed Mundell. I love his sound. I love his approach. He's such a big part of what makes this band work. It's sad he's not in the band anymore as of just recently, but yeah, agreed. Seen good years of, uh, of material. <laughs> so can't argue too much with that. But uh, yeah, so for me, it's just surprisingly because this one has that little yawning open and it slows it down a little bit but he finds a way to just get this cool groove that may not be obvious like the first several dozen times you listen to it it's it's like riding a wave yeah absolutely what do you think yeah i agree i mean i think in a lot of ways this song is kind of the part two to cyclops revolution whereas cyclops is a bit more truncated this kind of expands on all the same things that that hits on and just kind of does it more <laughs> kind of punches all of it back up and and makes makes the highs and the lows more extreme. I'm going to use this term a lot, <laughs> but the acid freakout. The acid freakout at the end of this is just off the charts, and it might even be the 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 biggest one on the album. It certainly uh, really hits you over the head the first couple listens. That's for sure. Yeah, say so like this is nearly a seven minute long song, so it's just that opening. It takes its time, right? But they do this such a great job of building on top of building on top of building, and then like you said acid freakout. That could be the subtitle of this entire album. <laughs> Definitely. Track four, Cage Around the Sun. And what do you got for me for this one? I saw this one as their attempt to try and mellow the trip. We, we've got a lot of freakouts and a lot of and a lot of pounding guitars up until this point, and you kind of get the feeling like they're trying to slow down. And as the song progresses, they fail. <laughs> they fail at that. It, it really kind of seems like somebody who's trying to just mellow the buzz a little and just can't do it. It just keeps bubbling back up. They, they try to slow everything down with the little Ravi Shankar sitar, you know, but then it, it just eventually gives way to the tidal wave of their usual fuzz box explosion. Yeah. And I love that about this song. So it's like this acoustic or at least acoustic sounding guitar for that extended intro. And that goes on for a while. It's like two minutes plus. Mm -hmm. Then it builds and it finally builds and then that scream that he lets loose yeah on like the last you know what minute part there and like yeah i hadn't really thought about that that they were trying to slow it down but just failed <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is such a perfect way to, to, to say that yeah there's like an anxiety in this song that brings us on to track five elephant bell this one really starts with those big drums and once again i think much like we talked about before it finds a little bit of a groove in an otherwise drone-y kind of a riff hmm. edmundell does big riffs really well but i think he also finds that way to needle into a, a into a smaller riff as well one of the things i feel about him is he's not a really flashy player he's not really all about me he really seems to service his guitar to the song mm. i think one of the reasons why i appreciate his playing because i mean he's great but it doesn't have to be like the look at how great i am right now yeah i'm over here being great uh and instead he's letting other things happen and you know and i think this one's just got a really great rhythm the drums don't often take center stage so just they have these big drums at the beginning and it's just a cool tune what do you think yeah i agree i mean i definitely think this is the most conservative that mundell plays on this on this album and really kind of works at more making the guitars atmospheric rather than anything flashy mm -hmm. For me, I think the most unique 
thing about this track is the tribal percussion. It's very tribal, and I think the percussion section really drives this song more than probably any of the others and stands out the most as being unique. Yeah. And then, of course, I think this song is a kind of a huge reveal to... I think this song's kind of a, a, a love letter from Windorf to Kiss in a lot of ways. I think this reveals his his affection for them a lot, if nothing else in the in the lyrics. <laughs> Elephant Bell, yeah, I hadn't really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's the most overtly uh, sexual innuendo song, which of course I think he he probably gets a lot from Paul Stanley and and Gene Simmons. He's made no secret that he's a huge fan of theirs, and they do it the best slash the worst out of anybody yeah that is definitely true they, they have cornered that particular niche that's for sure yeah i hadn't really thought about it that way <laughs> yeah i don't know what that reveals about me but um we're just gonna go with it yeah i like it we're gonna go from elephants to dinosaurs track six dinosaur vacuum first off let's talk about the nasty slurping sounds at the beginning of this track i was gonna not do that but yeah i guess we have to well they're nasty and uh, they are and they're off-putting every time i hear it and i'm sure they're supposed to be it certainly conjures up a lot of imagination and, and imagery and we'll leave that there and we'll move on first of all i appreciate this was my first track that hit me personally because it's got windorf's first reveal that he's a comic book fan okay which meant a lot to me that that only solidified my attachment to this album <laughs> and for anybody who doesn't know he he references a, a mother box in this which mother box is like this handheld computer in comic series from the 70s called the new gods by jack kirby um and that's all i'm gonna bother with anybody with comic book references but i just want to <laughs> Throw that out there in case it turns anybody on to Jack Kirby's New Gods. The other thing interesting about this track, I think, is that uh, it also reveals kind of their proto-punk inspirations. Mm -hmm. I think this really moves into the kind of, I mean, besides the obvious uh, psychedelic influences, I think this really goes into kind of that proto-punk like Steppenwolf and Iggy and the Stooges and MC5 kind of stuff. And just, yeah. you know, that late 60s, early 70s garage rock kind of thing. And that's a place that he lives in mentally a lot. Mm. And I love the opening riff, and it just has that wide open guitar sound, and it's just... Yeah, sets I think sets this one up. And I know Weindorf is, is a huge comic book fan. I didn't realize there was the comic book connection in this particular one. Cool. Yeah, he he's good at peppering comic book references throughout. Yeah. Yeah. I always like looking for those. <laughs> That brings us to track seven, Evil is Going On. And this is a blues cover, uh, Howlin' Wolf, I believe. Mm -hmm. and this one got a ton of radio play from me. I played this one quite a bit because it's just that great, quick, face punch riff. He's just taken an old blues song and, and ramped it up a little bit, which, well, a ton of bands in the 70s would do that and Led Zeppelin looking your way <laughs> and uh, this one just feels like he gets into it and it's fantastic and I and this is another one I didn't realize was a cover well 21 when this album came out I didn't know a ton of blue stuff I went to go see Widowmaker which was D Snyder's band at the time Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I did a phone interview with D Snyder and he was really friendly it was great and you know I was a Twisted Sister fan when I was a kid and I remember reading his book you know How to Survive Being a Teenager or whatever it was and uh. I don't have the most expressive voice let's say I kind of have that radio voice that I bring to you and at the end of our interview because I talked to him about Widowmaker and that I wanted to obviously ask him questions when I say obvious I wanted to ask him questions about the PMRC hearings because he thought I wanted to talk about Twisted Sister but I'm like no I want to talk about you and John Denver <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm sure he gets that all the time it, so but it was great because I opened up by talking mainly about Widowmaker he was happy to answer like any other question that I had so at the end of the interview I say 
you have no idea how excited I am to talk to you. And he goes, you're exactly right. I have no idea how excited <laughs> you are to talk to me. <laughs> they played Tampa like a couple of weeks later. And so I got invited to the sound check, which I thought was pretty cool. But they also do a version of this song. And I, at first I had that, why the fuck is D. Snyder covering Monster Magnet? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a deep reference. And then I was like, oh, because it's not a Monster Magnet song. It's a great one. I think they find a way to, to make it theirs and probably not that difficult for any competent band to upgrade something that was done with just one dude and a guitar a hundred years earlier. What do you think about it? It's kind of a no-brainer, right, for a hard or a heavy or a metal band to cover a blues track easily and just kind of succeed gloriously by just kind of amping things up a little bit. For me, it definitely succeeds at that, for sure. If I have to pick a weak track on this album, this is probably it for me, just because it's kind of almost too straightforward. The interesting thing about it, I think, is that it kind of reminds me of a lot of the Doors blues stuff. It reminds me a lot of L.A. Woman and, and Morrison Hotel. Mm -hmm. I was even thinking when they covered, what was it, Backdoor Man or Little Red Rooster or one of those ones that they, right. they would do live, where it didn't feel like you were, they were really adding that much to the conversation. It's like, this is one that 21-year-old Derek loved the song, <laughs> but today's Derek, not quite as much. I mean, I still like it, but it's not one I go for anymore. Right. Fair enough. And they're entitled to that. I don't think they half-assed it. I just think it's, no. it's a, a little on the nose. That's about it. If, if that's the worst thing you can say about a song, then uh, you're listening to a pretty fucking good album. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So then we go on to Stadium Track 8. Tim, what do you got for me? One cool thing is I think the guitar sounds in this, the chords and both the tone kind of remind me of a, of a horror organ, Phantom of the Opera kind of thing. Uh, there's something about if I were a more educated person in music, I could probably tell you exactly why it reminds me of that, but I can't. It does kind of have that Phantom of the Opera type organ sound and alluding to kind of early 70s horror movies in a way. Mundell's uh, Fuzz Boxes is right up front and center again. This time it's a little more frantic though in, in some than some of the others it almost sounds like an angry uh swarm of bees kind of thing <laughs> and it's anxiety inducing i think in a good way <laughs> if and there's such a thing and that's not the first time uh, that you brought that up yeah but something about this album it gets under your skin in a good way but also in that i've never i've never been much of a guy to do drugs so i know there's a lot of stuff going on in here it's like maybe i'm glad i don't <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe I wish I did. I don't know. Somewhere it depends on the song where I come down on that particular angle. Yeah. So this is one that I, I really, I like this one and it's, it does have that great riff and it has just the, once again, the, a little bit of a freak out right. on the track nine face down. If I remember correctly, this also was released as a single. I think there was a, a video for this one as well. Man, I like this one. I think it plays a little bit of a trick because this one opens up and it almost feels like it's going to be filler. Mm. Something about that riff isn't the most ingenious that you're going to hear from Mundell. It gives you this like this maybe 10, 20 seconds. You're like, oh, okay, maybe they're taking a little break on this one. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, and I love this song. I don't really talk too much about lyrics on the show, but I love some of the lyrics in this song. And I think this also goes towards what you're talking about with his influences, where it's not just comic books and also like horror films, but just the opening. We'll have a good time, baby. Well, it's a planet of the apes and a third eye kind of thing. 
That is a great line. I love that line. That is one of my all-time favorite lines. And I think Weindorf just knows his way around a lyric. I mean, he's not the most brilliant lyricist, but he does have some of those. This is one you're going to remember, my friend. This is one that I do remember. I love this opening. I love this whole tune. I don't have a ton to say about it just because I, this is what I kind of get all fanboy about. At the very beginning, it was like, ah, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> which is a fun thing for a song to do. What are your thoughts here? It does start off kind of subdued. Yeah, and it does lull you kind of in a false sense of security. Overall, I think it's kind of, it's an excellent choice for a single because like Twin Earth, it, it's kind of simple and straightforward, has a catchy riff. It's got some more of that great Stanley and Simmons uh, innuendo lyrics, um, but it builds well. By the end, you get another one of the patented uh, Monster Magnet Acid Punk freakouts, just to kind of remind you that they haven't forgotten, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't gotten that in two or three minutes, so so we need another one. And yeah, I agree that there's, there's some great lyrics in, in this song, too. I also am not one to really kind of latch on to lyrics. I'm really more about the song as a whole and sometimes don't even necessarily catch on to the lyrics all that clearly. I, I've, I've got some favorites on this one, too. I like sucking up more karma than I need. So I have a supernova on me. I love that line. Not to digress too much, but there's a B-side that they have somewhere around this era. Something about dinosaurs in Vietnam. Great stuff. If you were just to say, hey, this band I like wrote a song about dinosaurs in Vietnam. Could you guess which one it was? <laughs> I think I could guess. <laughs> Yeah, true. Brings us to track 10. Yet another cover. I didn't realize there's what three covers on this album, which uh, yeah. somehow I, I managed to not hold against it. So this is uh, Brainstorm. And what do you got? For uh, like you, I didn't realize right away that it was a cover. It was years later that I discovered A, that it was a cover and B, who Hawkwind was. <laughs> so that, that was that was enlightening definitely turned me on to hawkwind for the first couple albums when lemmy's still around after he leaves it kind of falls off i think i kind of interpret having known that um in hindsight i kind of see this song as windorf's monster magnet mission statement it kind of has all the ingredients that he he makes all the signature monster magnet tropes mm -hmm. you've got the acid freak out you've got a slow build of psychedelic uh, uh guitars it kind of it just kind of hits all the notes that they hold dear for me this is maybe my least favorite song on the album really yeah huh. it goes on a little too long it's like eight minutes plus mm. sometimes it's like uh, okay i, I kind of got the point <laughs> uh, but that's that's a me thing i'm not generally a fan of super long songs and there are a million exceptions to that rule but uh, this isn't one of them and i think this is the one that i was least surprised to find out that it was a cover just because there's something that sounds just a little bit different there's just something about the the tone on this one that just i mean and i still like it i still like the song a lot one of my all-time 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 favorite records so to say it's my least favorite song on it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad song right or if i would like it a little bit more if it was a five or a six minute long track as opposed to an eight minute long track fair enough so, and this is the one i think that just doesn't quite sound as much like them that they didn't find their own voice in it i haven't really gone back to listen to hawkwind so i'm sure this sounds this could sound very different from hawkwind so that's not kind of what i mean it's just as much as just something that leaves me a little bit cold but only a little bit gotcha it's on the monster magnet curve yeah. i get it <laughs> Yeah, which is pretty strong. And that uh, brings us up to the final track on the album, track 11, Black Balloon. This one, this is the settling down song. This is the, all right, maybe I've 
teased you a few times that we're gonna we're gonna settle it down a little bit, but this one he actually does. But of course, in the most monster magnet, I'm still gonna freak you out a little bit way possible because it sounds like a sitar. <laughs> I don't know if it's just a guitar made to sound that way or or if Mundell actually plays sitar on this. I'm not really sure, but it's got that tone and the lyrics are are great and just kind of off setting and it's slow i'm a sucker for a slow song at the end is what i found doesn't always happen but when you can send me away with like a great ballad or a great slow one that usually works for me for whatever reason Hmm. and this one doesn't it still sounds so much like monster magnet even though it's a million times slower i don't think there's any real percussion on this one just this weird sitar sound and some trippy lyrics talking about a black balloon and i love this song this is one of my favorites and i I think a great way to end this album just because it throws you off a little bit and so you leave thinking what just happened to me right there (laughs) what do you got i think this song works in the context I think it's a great way to end the album. It's definitely the crash from the trip, right? Everything's winding down. I think I would definitely enjoy this song a lot less if it was anywhere else in the album. I think it's placed perfectly. I think it's the perfect epilogue to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. I don't love, love the song, but it, I appreciate it in this context. And I think it works really well where it is. And it's kind of a nice way to ease you out. Yeah, I would agree. And that brings us to our final thoughts, Tim. My final thoughts. I think... Again, we have the benefit of hindsight of seeing where this album falls in their catalog. And I think once you take that into account, besides it just being an amazing album on its own, I think it's in a lot of ways their peak. And and I don't necessarily mean that it's the peak of their abilities or, or, their, or uh, the quality of their music. But I think in terms of what I think Windorf's concept for Monster Magnet was very deliberate. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, this album is almost a concept album in a way. Mm-hmm. It's, it may not have a narrative that runs through it, but it's in terms of world building, we'll say, it's definitely contrived in that way. And it's trying to go for setting an entire tone and attitude and imagery. Mm-hmm. And I think in that respect, this, is, this album kind of personifies Monster Magnet in that way. I think they really nail it here. And I think there's, it's no coincidence that after this album, they kind of deviate mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. Because I think they kind of can't do it any better than they did here. The other interesting thing about this whole thing that he's going for on both the album before this and this album, it's what I love about it is it's kind of anti-hippie music. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's probably a lot to read into that being me being raised by hippies. <laughs> It's anti-hippie music in the sense that it uses all the same, on the surface, it uses all the same kind of qualities of late 60s psychedelic music, but it's got a really twisted turn to it. You know, it's it's kind of more Manson family than Wavy Gravy. Oh yeah, big time. It's just a little twisted. And I like that. Well, thank you very much for that. I, like I mentioned at the beginning, did work at a record store, but I didn't do that until much, much later. So I was working at an indie record store, Final Fever, RIP, at 99, at the very end of 1999. We used to have a pick of the month. They wanted you to choose something that had been released in, let's say, the last two, three months. But for December, we had to pick our favorite album of the 90s. And that was going to be our pick of the month. So that would, you know, there was a display and they were on sale for the month. And so I had to, of course, start thinking about what album I was going to choose as my favorite from the 90s. And this album ended up being the one that I chose. So this was my favorite album. In 1999, this was my favorite album of the 1990s. Spine of God is good, 
but doesn't have Ed Mundell. And I think you can see that mm. the original lineup of Monster Magnet, they were, I think, a three-piece band at that point. Both of the, like, so the drummer and the guitar player both ended up leaving. Dave Weindorf's the only original member. So I think he was building a band that could actually give what he had in his head. Mm. I think he found it with this band. So I think that's why, whereas Spine of God is a good record, that's definitely a lot more of like a garage rock record, even though they do still have like the extended jams and it's been a long time since I've listened to it, so if I'm uh, mischaracterizing it, I apologize. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he hit all the notes he wanted to hit with this particular album, and there wasn't a whole lot of places they could go from there. You'll see other bands have done the same thing, like Spoon, I think, is another band that's done this. Like They have that sound, and they're like, all right, what if we strip it away a little bit? What if we punch it up a little bit? And I don't think that they necessarily tried to go commercial, Monster Magnet. No, I think they did try to sell some records. I don't think in a way that all of a sudden they were a completely different band, because... You know, Dopes to Infinity is still called Dopes to Infinity. (laughs) Yeah. Still opens up with some weird and it's, you know, these kind of heavy psychedelic craziness. And that's what he does so well. And I think they Mm. shaved their sound down, but I think it really hit all the things that they were hoping to hit. I think it holds up all these years later. This is a record that's never really gone into hibernation for me there's other things that it's like yeah i love that record but then you know it's like wow it's been five years since i've listened to it not this one this is one that gets at least a few plays every year if not a ton of plays every year just because i'll listen to it that one time like oh fuck yeah <laughs> just keep playing you know <laughs> I, I need to hear that record like 16 more times before i move on to something else yeah and i remember you and i having a conversation about this hmm. you and i always had a couple of things that we were on the same wavelength when i made that original list i was really hoping this was going to be one that you would grab and and you grabbed it so thank you so much tim for joining me today i appreciate your time we'll talk to you soon all right thank you thank you for listening to i fucking love this record now available on itunes spotify and stitcher please subscribe share and comment for this and other podcasts, please check out www.lovethisrecord.com, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to co-host an episode, write to me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter, we are lovethisrecord1. Facebook and Pinterest, we are Love This Record. Music at the top and bottom by The Ashes of Grissom. Special thanks to original patron Mark Evers for getting this podcast back on track. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.